resident lighting specialist to our Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, executive editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Patrick Hartman joins us from Reno, Nevada, where he is general manager for the Diversified Systems International branch of Technology Design Associates. DSI opened for business in the northern Nevada and Lake Tahoe areas in 1994. Then in March of 2018, DSI joined forces with Technology Design Associates, which is owned by one of my previous podcast guests and friend, Ron Wanless, enabling them to better service all of their clients across Nevada, California, Oregon, Washington, and Arizona. Patrick is the guy, along with another former guest and friend, Jamie Briesmeister, who recruited me to help launch the Cedia Business Exchange Conference back in 2014. As far as conference planning goes, I'm a very good magazine editor. But despite my lack of real contribution to that project, I still cherish that experience because of the relationships that helped me develop. And I've been able to keep up with Patrick and Jamie and everyone we worked with, including Ron, um, since then at expos and buying group meetings. And I know that Patrick in particular has a great passion for solving business challenges in the professional home technology integration industry. I'm happy to have him on the podcast to share his stories and tech insights. Patrick Hartman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Good to see you. Great to see you too. Last week when we were setting this up, we chatted on the phone a bit and you mentioned how you're headed out to the lake, meaning Lake Tahoe, for some client visits. I immediately recalled how much you love razzing me on Facebook whenever I'm on a work trip or vacation. I believe the line you always use is, don't you ever work? <laughs> I'll have you know that I have zero vacations planned this summer. I can't brag about that. It's not a great thing. All of our money has gone to my, toward my high school daughter's trip to France. So we're kind of laying low this summer. So uh, I have to say, when I hear you're going to the lake and calling it work, I have to kind of question that a little bit. But yeah, there's some, <laughs> work, there's some work in play there. There's no doubt. <laughs> there you go. You live in a beautiful place, and uh, and I can't uh, I, I can't criticize that uh, you've chosen well there, sir. Um, but uh, speaking of um, free time, one of the things that I love watching about you, and we'll get into the business and the tech conversation here. But I think to get you to know you better. I couldn't go without mentioning right out of the gate about your 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 hobby and passion for extreme trail obstacle courses, I guess is the general term, like Tough Mudders and Spartan Races. Um, I love watching that stuff. You tried to get me involved, and I, I don't have the guts to actually do it, um, <laughs> or maybe the stamina. How did you get involved in that stuff? Remind me how that all got started, because I think people would love to know that about, about you right out of the gate. Here. Yeah, so it's known as obstacle course racing and then uh, trail running. So they kind of all fall in that same category. Um, oh, God, it's been uh, probably 2015 or so. I was challenged by a friend of mine to go do a tough mutter up at North star. It's one of the toughest in the country because of their elevation change. And I'm like, how hard could it be? You know, it's just run up a mountain, get muddy, you go through some obstacles and you have a beer at the end of the run. So how hard could it be? <laughs> well, I didn't realize, even though I live at an elevation that it's three or 4,000 feet above me and the elevation change is pretty significant, you know, over a period of a couple of hours 
So anyway, I did it for the first time and I was addicted. Um, it's just, it's just a awesome camaraderie, camaraderie of people, right? Um, going to just kind of decompress, do something fun, do something out of their, out of their comfort zone, kind of like you did with the exchange and, um, and just have a good time. And so I got addicted to that. I did, I don't know, three or four years of that. And then I realized that I was kind of bored with it because, you know, me, I love challenges. So um, a friend of mine who's uh, very, very good at it now is done the Spart races. And so he got me involved in that. And um, long story short, um, now I'm addicted to Spartan. Uh, Spartan is a little more difficult because you get penalized if you don't uh, fulfill your obstacles and it can weigh on your body. So what is normally as a 5k could turn into a six or 7k with extra laps and burpees and everything else that you got to do. So it's just a great challenge. And once you've done it once, you think you're a king and it's just like, how hard could the next one be? And so I always seem to focus on the mountain courses uh, Lake Tahoe being one of them. Um, it's always in Squaw Valley every year. And uh, it's, I think, number five in the country, hardest um, courses. And I just love it. I'm going on, I think, week number or uh, year number seven up there. So, yeah. And just to just to help people sort of visualize what these obstacles kind of look like. I mean, it's kind of like some of those things you'd see in an ar- army boot camp exactly. obstacle course. But other things are like teamwork efforts too, right? You're carrying something together with your teammates or uh, you can, uh, yeah, fellow racers. It's typically an okay. independent sport, but you can run in groups and share certain things. But the real competitive guys uh, usually run it by themselves and take it pretty pretty hard if they miss an obstacle. So um, it's all timed. Um, there are age group limits. You know, there's what we call open sessions. So if you're if you're new, it's your first time. You can run the open session and not be as, you know, um, penalized at everything. But uh, it's just a great, it's a great release. It's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Keeps me in shape. And you train um, and in between races by by running mostly, or what do you do? Weightlifting? You know, believe it or not, there's not a lot of running. Um, You know, especially in the mountains. Uh, It's straight up. You know, in the mountains, it's. yeah, but on the downhill, it is. Uh, there is running in between. You can make up time. That's the whole benefit of it. Um, but we do a lot of core training, push-ups, mm-hmm. sit-ups, you know, uh, uh, planks, uh, bar hangs, all kinds of stuff like that. And then we do a lot of stuff outside as well on trails because the trails are never flat. So you got to be able to be, you know, nimble in your in your movement with your feet and. Um, yeah. There's better shoes for that, obviously. So it's kind of a little bit of everything, but uh, it's, it's, it's such a blast. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like I should do it because you've been bugging me about it. And it's just, <laughs> it's like, it's getting over that, that hump, it you is. know, that first one. And, and that was really my is. whole deal is just like, I had to get over the hump and now I've done it. It's like, it's, it's really not as difficult as it looks. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it can be. Um, but, um, it's just so rewarding and it's just a great release from day to day. And, uh, you have something to look forward to, right. If you train a little bit and I know you keep in pretty good shape, you would have no problem doing it. It's really not that difficult. It's just, you got to go with somebody that knows it the first couple of times and you're good. Yeah. 
Well, uh, I, I, I will stay on that focus of trying to get there myself. I probably probably do something more at uh, at at sea yeah. level because I'm a Midwesterner. I might not be able to do the altitude yet, but yeah. uh, work up to that. But hey, um, so you and I both we first really got to know each other. Um, it, it was a weird one for me because you and Jamie, I didn't really know you that well. And a lot of times with industry things, somebody knows me because of the magazine, my faces and articles and stuff, and. And you, you, for whatever reason, come up to me at a thing and I'm like, wait a second, I'm supposed to know these people, but I don't know if I do. And so you yeah. just kind of like fake it until, until I'm sure what, what's going on. But you just, we're looking for a little extra help doing this, uh, Cedia, um, conference thing. And it was really, um, uh, a, a spinoff of the old Cedia management conferences and uh, we had crossed paths at those, and that's where it all kind of came together. Like, okay, that's why. Um, but you, you and Jamie really just had a passion for. We need to create this event. We have to have this event come back, which was the management conference. And what was it about those events in those early days of the management conference that you felt like were really important, even with the era of buying group meetings and that sort of thing? You know, I've talked a little bit about the difference between what a buying group is versus a CEDIA or a general industry event that trains on management skills and business. Like what, what was it about that event that you felt and still feel is so important that we have? Well, it's, you know, it's the networking. Number one, it's, it's getting like-minded people together in the same space, leaving the ego at the door, um, whether you're small, big or indifferent and sharing ideas and sharing successes or failures and, Hey, I'm not doing well in here. What can I do to do better and meeting with your peers to do it, but doing it in an environment that's not, um, it's called traditional classroom style, right? As you know, I mean, we always did something in a different location every day. Um, Mm -hmm. we had, um, different events that people grouped up to be and, and had competitions and just had a lot of fun. And we just felt like, the traditional trade show is just such a grind having to see all the vendors yeah. and all the meetings with vendors and meetings with, you know, uh, magazines like yourself. And we just needed something different that we could literally just release, um, get some like-minded people to do the same things we all want to do and not have any discretionary, you know, predeterminations of what it was going to be and just made it a fun event. And, um, to date, I mean, I still have lots of people that call me about it. I, I, I really want CD to bring it back. And if they don't, Jamie and I will, uh, hopefully we'll do our own thing, but it's just, it's one of those things that it was so, as you know, I mean, the planning was crazy, right? We had great guest speakers. We had great, um, we did have education there. It's not like we didn't have education, Mm -hmm. but it was more focused on the business side than on the flashy gold thing. Right. And and the, the technical side, we didn't have vendors. Yeah. We didn't have any that kind of stuff. So that that was really the passion behind it. Yeah, right now for me, as far as networking goes, what fills in the blank is going to these buying group meetings, and they become pretty uh, pretty clicky because it's all folks that are in these things together for a long time. And sometimes it's hard if you know you don't have a friend and a certain kind of cocktail party setting or whatever to kind of work your way into there and get comfortable talking to folks. Um, when you're going to an event like uh, an exchange or a management conference, you're all kind of in it, fresh perspective, 
there's no expectation of what it is. You just go in with the hope that you're going to meet new people. So I can see that as being a, a different sort of tone or tenor that way that that event could go. Um, although the management conferences definitely do a, a really good job in thought leadership and networking in their own ways. They're just an exclusive group. Not everybody can be in there. So uh, it's different. Yeah. Richard, um, and I, Richard I'm, I'm was at our that. very first one. I'll never forget. He was sitting at my table and I think the, the light bulb went off and he went, wow, this is something we could do and really make a, an impact. And, and he did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he had been doing HTSA for a while, but I don't think he ever had his meetings in like the educational mode. It was mostly just meeting with their vendors right. and going working on programs. And then they became training events and networking events. So yeah, I do think he learned a lot from that and, and applied it to to his group first at HTSA and then ASEAN. Um, so um, you, you say that your some of your passions in, in kind of running a business are, are team and culture maintaining team and culture um, and customer communications you mentioned as well. Um, what, what are some, some of the keys do you think in terms of the, what you've experienced with your team and having that proper culture where the, the employees stay satisfied and want to continue working for the company? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a twofold deal. One is that, you know, you know, we are family first, right? So when something happens and you're an employee, it's all about family first, right? So if something's going on, it doesn't matter how impactful it's going to be. You're out. You need to go take care of family, take care of the business, uh, take care of your business, your personal business. Um, but more importantly, uh-huh. it's it's like-minded people that work together and fill a void. So, you know, if you're looking for a programmer, you look for a project manager, you're looking for whatever, you got to find that right person to fill the void. And I've, I've been notoriously difficult to get forced to bring people on because it doesn't fit the mold. And I mean, it took, I think three years to find our newest project manager. And a year later he brought a tech with him. So, I mean, we literally had tons and tons and tons of applications and people referred to us, but it just didn't fit the culture. Um, We like to have fun outside of work um, in a work environment or out, you know, on a picnic or a ballpark game or whatever. Um, and we all stand behind each other. We know each, we each have each other's back. Um, we also, uh, when we hire, you know, we, we ask not to bring the baggage, right? So you may have been taught one way and got brought, we'll listen to you and we'll listen to some ideas, but we have a, a pretty good uh, method of doing all of our business and, and we're looking for great ideas, but um, we've got it kind of down to a science now. And um, so, yeah, culture is huge. Um, everybody's got to believe in the same uh, goal and that's a ha- happy customer. Um, the other big thing about our company, um, even prior to joining uh, TDA, is that um, we're 100% referral business. Zero advertising, mm-hmm. nothing on our vans, no logos, no flyers, nothing. So um, in a small town like Reno and Lake Tahoe, you can't have a bad name. You can't have a one bad job which gets 10 bad customer reviews. I mean, you just can't do it. So, you know, we're kind of at the elevated game, right? Um, and yeah. that and that brings a lot of passion, a lot of pride. Once the, once the team sees that you've succeeded in something you didn't think you could succeed at, you know, sky's the limit. And uh, one of our techs even brought up today, or not today, earlier this year, it, he, he posed a question at the beginning of the year and he says, what can we do to get to the next level? 
I mean, he's already seeing it. He knows we can push the envelope. We're pretty high up there. We deal with a lot of high-end business, but we can always get better. And so right. for a technician to bring that up, right, uh, to a company and see that passion, that's that's huge. And you're in a market, um, even though you said it's a fairly small community there, that is uh, it's a pretty... Uh, pretty wealthy community, um, second homes, primary homes. What, what, how would you describe, I I know it's, it's a resort sort of area with the lake and all. Um, and then you have winter as well, um, as part of that. So how would you describe your client, uh, your typical kind of client base there? So, um, the Reno division of TDA, um, which we have dropped the DSI name now, we're officially TDA Reno, but Um, we, um, we make up in Reno, unlike the other branches, probably a 60, 40, 70, 30 split of residential commercial. Uh, we started off as a commercial, um, integrator 15 or 16 years ago. I've been here 10. I brought the residential side to the business and that's exploded, um, recently, obviously with COVID and everything locked down, but. Um, so our community is kind of a makeup of what we call the Valley. So Carson city, um, Reno, um, even all the way out to Fallon, that's just pretty basic, you know, call it three quarter of a million to two and a half million dollar homes, nothing crazy. Hmm. Um, and then we deal with the lake, which is, which can be, you know, relatively wealthy to, uh, ultra wealthy, um, and everything in between. Um, the difference with our company is that we focus a lot on the resort communities like Vale. So North Star is up in, in uh, Truckee. Um, they're now owned by Vale. Heavenly got bought by Vale. We do a lot of their projects, both commercially and residentially. Um, do a lot of upkeep and uptake on all of their million dollar condos that get rented out, ski in, ski out condos. Um, and then a lot of property managers sends us a lot of business. So we're, mm. that's kind of our core uh, business. And then we've grown and blown up with electrical contractors being partners of ours, bringing us in early on to some of the real higher end um, clientele down in the valley and at the lake. So it's kind of a combination of everything, but we do everything from the bare bones, kind of like you and I's house set up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we save for 10 years and we can afford something uh, to <laughs> yeah. somebody that says how much it's going to cost to do it tomorrow. And everything in between. Right. Um, but we also have a very, very strong commercial side of the business that focuses on conference rooms, emergency operations centers. Um, one of our largest clients is the Nevada Department of Transportation. They mm-hmm. have 40 offices in the state of Nevada. And we have recently outfitted every single one of them with a team's room. So, okay. you know, um, we're very um, blessed to have the staff that can do both that can handle right. the residential side and, and be front and center with a, a very wealthy individual, but also be very um, cognizant of a business, right? And that the costs are a little, little more um, uh, not as high, right? Right. The quality yeah, you, you've got a pre- right. You've got a pretty small team there too, as you said, not, not looking to grow too fast with the wrong cultural fit. So, um, you, you've got a, it's a pretty lean and mean group to be able to do that yep. crossover into both. Um, and, and what a great, 
I mean, we've all learned that lesson of you've got to have that balance of some commercial when things go a little south on the residential side with the economy and, you know, things can be booming on one side and for an early days of COVID commercial probably just dried up for you um, as it seemed to do for most. Um, Yeah. We had about about three quarters of a million in the pipeline in February before COVID hit and probably 90% dropped off. Right. But the resi picks up, it right? Did. So you get it that. exploded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, after the break, Patrick Hartman and I will discuss how he got into tech and what new products and technologies are at the heart of his home installation projects these days. Do you want superior smart home automation at a great value? Shelly Wi-Fi relays by Alterco Robotics cover DC to line voltage, allowing you to control lights, outlets, appliances, garage doors, pumps, and much more. There are Shelly sensors and power measurement devices to help you measure temperature, humidity, lux, or motion, and electrical consumption from single wire to three phase with neutral. You can use Shelly with a licensed driver for Control 4, Elon, or other premium systems, as well as your customer's existing hub, voice assistant, or any platform that accepts REST, MQTT, or CoAP. Shelly can make IoT very easy. Available now at Blackwire, City Electric Supply, and Worthington, or at ShellyUSA.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Patrick Hartman, uh, General Manager for Technology Design Associates in Reno, Nevada. Um, Patrick, I like to go way back and talk to folks about what they were like as a kid, how they got into tech. What were some of the earliest times when you were kind of interested in things that maybe turned into technology, whether it's being into gadgets and putting stuff together or how, how early do you, would you say you, you kind of knew you liked technology or stuff related to like what you do today? Yeah. So I've always been a huge music fan. I always grew up, my parents always had the albums playing on Saturdays and Sundays. And, you know, we, um, when we could afford it, we could go see a, a concert or watch it on TV or something. Um, so music has always been in my, in my blood. All my uncles were, uh, pretty heavy rockers in the sixties and seventies and they loved their music. So whenever we visited them, it was, it was comparable and we loved the music and share it. Um, but I had an opportunity in college, my third year in college to go to an internship in the Bay area, um, to work for, um, the good guys, the big box store. So equivalent to you would have been like circuit city. But it was mm-hmm. a West Coast version of it. Um, and so I was working in the service department with a good friend of our family that hired me. And uh, I loved it so much that I stayed. Um, so, I, you know, I was seeing things that came in that were broke, right? It was a service center. You, you break a receiver or CD player, whatever it came in, you got it fixed. And we were the, we were the group that um, brought it in, fixed it, and shipped it out. Well, about five years into that venture, um, our... CEO at the time elected to open up, I think to date, it's probably one of the very first custom installation divisions of a big box store. So we had a home installation division and I got an opportunity to help start that um, back in 96. So I was in 91 is when I started with the good guys. And um, in 96, we got an opportunity to do that. So we did a trial run in a pretty conservative area in Sacramento had a long commute four days a week, you know, hot weather, hot attics. It was not fun. It was a, pro- <laughs> it was a proven theory that we could 
go and teach sales counselors in these big box stores how to present a home installation and then have us come in and bid on it and then run it through the company. Um, a name you know very well, Eric Bodley, um, was uh, a consultant that taught all of our sales counselors. And I traveled with him for almost a year um, mm -hmm. going in and teaching sales counselors how to sell um, in-home installation. So him and I have been friends and known each other for a long, long time. And then in uh, 2001, uh, I think we, I think we had 20, good guys had 22 stores when I started and we, and I left, there were 78 stores. Um, wow. So we were blowing up stores and building stores in between that um, starting them all over the West coast, Washington, Oregon, LA, out to Vegas. Um, and home installation became pretty big too. Um, but they decided to go a different route and they got bought by, I don't, can't remember the name of the company, um, uh, computer company. Anyway, I left in 01 and went to work for Randy Stearns at Engineer Environments. Oh, I, you know, I didn't even know yeah. that. That's so interesting. he recruited one of my old bosses at the good guys who was a, uh, operations guy and a tech guy by trade hired him. And then he recruited me in 01. So I went mm -hmm. to work for Randy for a couple of years and that that's what moved me from the Bay area to the Lake Tahoe area. Okay. So that, that's kind of the early where did days. You, yeah. Where did you grow up though? So I was born and raised in uh, Topeka, Kansas, not too far from you. Oh. Um, <laughs> lived a little, little stint in St. Louis I uh, had a stint in Little Rock, Arkansas, freshman year in high school. I went to a lot of a lot of schools. My dad moved around with the railroad. So I went to three high schools in four years and then ended up in University of Arizona uh, College. So, um, right. yeah, I was a Midwest boy, born and raised, a lot of family back there. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a trip this summer to go see my brother in Omaha. And Oh, that's right. I did have a stint in Omaha. I just don't want to admit it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he's still there. And... Uh, I'm going to go see him and his kids and his wife, and um, we're going to spend some time back seeing family. So it's going to be fun. So, so you you bring us up to up to speed with working for engineered environments, and that brings you to um, Tahoe, um, Reno area. What was that as a as an extension of engineered environments at that point? Or yeah, they had they had about uh, okay. they had about three or four million dollars of business up here. And had been up here for a long time. And one of their senior project managers had left or was going to start going back in the electrical business. So I had the opportunity to either pick going to Tahoe or Randy at the time was looking at opening up Hawaii. Um, mm. So I elected to come up to Tahoe. And um, two years in, he blew up in Hawaii and uh, decided he was going to kind of dwindle down Tahoe and work it remotely. So I, my wife and I stayed here. And uh, kind of built our house and had a great time. And I've, I've worked for three companies since then. Um, a very small community, so it didn't take long to find work here. Um, mm -hmm. And then I was recruited by a company out of Palm Desert um, that opened a branch doing a lot of uh, work for Toll Brothers nationwide. And so we had a branch there and I worked for them for a couple of years getting Toll Brothers in Reno. They just started you know, back in the early 2000s. And then uh, had a couple years speed bump with a company that my our DSI I've been was with them ten years or have been. Um, our mm -hmm. owner decided to retire, and he sold out to a large um, commercial fire alarm company because that's the other half of the business. 
Right. And so once that happened, then I started looking. That's when I met Ron. And Ron and I chatted about it over a period of about a year, year and a half. And it just made it made sense. It was the right fit. He was trying to break out into different states and different have different uh, branches. And so here we are. You know, we've been there. It's been four years now, I think. A little over four years since we got acquired mm-hmm. by Ron's company. And and has has that arrangement um, made it? You seem to be very entrepreneurial within your um, branch there, and can operate fairly independently as the general manager there. Um, but yet, you you have oversight from Ron, who who is out in the field, traveling from location to location, and overseeing the whole thing. What are some of the advantages there of that uh, that kind of parent organization, so to speak, that Ron has uh, working with you versus not really being they're in person all the time, kind of on your right. case. <laughs> Are you you're able to be independent and also have some of the pressures taken off of you um, by not being the owner? Yeah, the good the the, the um, there's a lot of good parts to it. Number one is we run independent. We we're you know we're a well old machine before he even acquired us, so he didn't have a lot to worry about. He knew we had a good track record, good revenue, good client base, and a good environment. So he didn't really have to babysit it like he does. He had to on some of the others that he built up from the ground up. The other difference mm-hmm. is that we do a lot of commercial. They do zero commercial or very little mm-hmm. um, in, in the other areas. So he was kind of looking to me for my expertise to help run this and and do it. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a sharing, right? So we have six general managers. We're sharing information, stuff I've done on the residential and commercial side versus the smaller stuff they're doing, and they do have some big stuff up there too. So um, it's great. Now, what Ron's you know concept has always been is he has what he calls essential service. So we have six different disciplines that we rely on for them to help us. So we don't have to do it locally purchasing, accounting, uh, engineering, um, you know, the administrative side. So those are just four of them that we use. We do also have some marketing that's happening. And so they have an entire group that's kind of their own branch or their own division that services and, and hands us, the backend support we need. So all we're doing is running a business and running the jobs and I have to work about everything locally. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds great. Now, um, are, are there, um, you're still dealing with some of the, the challenges that everyone's dealing with, with supply chain and all that too, right? Yeah, so that not, you're not, not necessarily doing the purchasing yourself, but you're still having, probably some delays and things with your projects because you're waiting for, you're going to have to fill in gaps when things aren't available or um, just delayed getting to you. So well, we have a, big, um, we have a lot of buying power too, because we have six branches yeah. and a lot of stuff. So it's one purchasing engine that's, you know, imploding on large companies like Lutron and Control4 and Crestron and have a little more buying power. So we're able to use that to our advantage, right. To make a little more, yes. a little more margin. And, and then also stockpile stuff now, which is, I never thought I'd ever say that again, because I'm not a big believer of keeping inventory, but this yeah. day and age, you have to. I know everything went just in time and that was the key to success for everybody. Yes. And then, then now it's just the opposite where it's like, well, if you can buy it, get it now yeah. and hold on to so it. So it's been, di- it's and been hope unique. That it doesn't get- it's been very unique. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think uh, our, our division brought a lot to TDA and I know that TDA has given us a lot as well on processes. We've been 
working very heavily the last three years to really improve processes company wide. Um, there was just a lot of, well, you know, this branch does it one way, this branch does it one way. And we were kind of the anomaly and it was very difficult for us to change to some of the processes, but it makes a lot more sense, becomes a little more efficient. And, you know, we feel like more of a team now too. And so you, you mentioned when, when we were talking about topics of conversation about charging for, for proposals, um, and, and that's an important thing for you. So explain, um, is that something you brought to the table or is it something that, uh, the other groups um, said, this is the way we do it. We should all do it this way. Or So, um, I mean, I've been teaching it with Cedia for years in the project management track uh, about, you know, if you want to be successful, you need to pick and choose your clients. And the only way you're going to do that is to figure out whether they're committed or not committed. And mm-hmm. one of the best ways to do that, and Randy was notorious and he was very good at it from back in the engine, engine environment days, was if you're going to have us design the system, you're going to pay for it. It's that simple. It's you're not getting a freebie. You don't get a free proposal that you can just go and just, you know, avoid my calls and walk down the street, hand somebody the proposal and say, here, here's my bid. Can you beat it? I mean, back in the day, that's what people did. And I, I, to this day, I don't know how people still do it. I mean, if you're just getting started, you're hungry and you're doing whatever you got to do. I get that. But at some point you got to put some, some comfort level and some, um, you know, have some comfort level that your staff can handle whatever you propose. And so probably 12 or 13 years ago, I started doing what I call a design services agreement where first of all, it's a gut check. Ron and I are very similar in that way. It's we can, we can gut check it when we meet a client, we know whether they're real or they're not real. In Reno, it's even easier because we're hundred percent referral business. So I got the call because somebody else was happy. So the chance you know, goes way up. The percentage of closure ratio goes way up in that perspective. Um, but when I'm on the fence or it's a builder calling me and my first question is who else is bidding on the project? Mm-hmm. If I, if you're calling me cause you want me to be number two or number three on the bid, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going to be working with you and never beat the client, I'm not interested. Like it's a relationship thing. And so if yeah. a builder's calling me or designers calling me or electrician, electrical contractors calling me, it's because I'm referred and they want me to do the business no matter the cost. And mm-hmm. we'll work with the client. We're very, we're very good at value engineering and meeting a budget, but I'm not doing design for free. I'm just not doing it. Right. And so mm-hmm. it becomes a gut check, right? So if it's just a existing client, you're doing some updates for it. You're not having them sign that. It's a done deal. Mm-hmm. They're already a client. It's just another changeover or refresh of their system or whatever. There's very little chance they're going to go somewhere else. But with a brand new client that I don't know, I, you know, it's a gut check. And so if, if it doesn't feel right, they immediately get a design contract and say, if you want to proceed, it's X amount of dollars to design it. You'll get X, Y, and Z for that price. And if you decide to use our company to do the work, we'll apply that money you just paid us as a down payment toward your contract. So -hmm. it's a win-win, right? It's not, you're paying money for the design and you're paying for the design. Right. Right. So it's good money spent over bad. Um, uh, So it's worked out very well. And all of a sudden, people that learn to do that way, and it's scary. If you've never done it before, it's not easy to come to a client and say, sorry, we can't proceed without money. They're Mm -hmm. like, well, I got to talk to my wife or I got to do this or I got to do that. Or I'm waiting another guy to look at my job. Well, when you're ready, let us know. Um, Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, 
once you get it in, in, in your vocabulary and in your elevator pitch with your clients, it's a no brainer that if they're going to sign it right there and not have to say, I need to talk to my wife or let me think about it. You were part of the business exchange when we talked about trust, the trusted advisor, right? That yeah. trusted advisor is exactly who we are. If they don't trust you, they're not going to sign the deal. They're not going to sign the design contract. And so you've got to earn their trust. And so that's been very popular. I mean, it, it pushed my closure ratio from 55, 60% to 90 overnight. Wow. And to date, we're, we don't even put it in the computer as a prospect if we know it, until we know that we can either have the signed contract or it's an existing client. We know we're going to get the work. Is there a way for these clients who just have absolutely no idea what it is that you do, except that they want some home entertainment stuff? And I guess you're dealing with referrals who they at least have a friend that has something that they're comparing yeah. it to. So they're starting from a little bit of information there. But is there a way to give them sort of a ballpark um, budget um, number without having to go through the design stage and get that money up front? So they at least just know, hey, it's where we start is around this for this type of a project. Yeah. Um, I mean, X, X dollar amount. Anybody that's been in the business long enough has a pretty good idea. If you're doing the same general types of systems over and over again, or call it even six times a year, like a lighting control system, you, you have a pretty good idea. You can walk into a project, see how many lighting loads there are, see how many motorized shades and have a pretty good budget. You know, I'll throw out things like, you know, it's going to be between 12 and $1,800 per window for a motorized shade. Does that sound about right to you? Like you got to get their commitment. And so mm -hmm. that, they'll start adding numbers in their head. You don't need to go to budget phase. Um, okay. But this whole project could be 30 to 60,000, depending on what you're looking for. But without right. knowing specifics and us going into design phase, I can't guarantee you a price. So right. it, it's, it really comes to a, what we call a trial close. Um, Frank White is very, very good at it. He, him and I kind of talked about it in a couple of our classes we've taught over the years. The trial close is, is, is a good way to find out whether they're your client or not. Asking those questions. Because, yep. mm -hmm. you know, every customer is going to ask, well, what do you think? You just walked the house. How much do you think it's going to cost? Right. Well, first of all, I say we don't spell out numbers day one. I said if I, if mm -hmm. I had to give you a rough estimate, it's X between twenty five and 50000 but there are so many unknowns and the right way to do it. And the only way we'll do it with our company is to go into design phase. And right. they'll usually okay. appreciate that. And, and I'll say, look, we'll show you other clients' homes. You can come into our design center. We'll show you drawings. We'll show you paperwork. So we're educating. And that's really the difference between us and a lot of integrators is they're like, no, you don't want to spend the money. You're out. We'll spend the time mm -hmm. and educate them. So they're, they're not getting bad information from other integrators. Or worst case, from a big box store. Right. So you're um, you're always hearing about um, after after the project's uh, service agreements and that sort of thing. How is the company handling that these days? As far as um, some some I've heard just even recently in a conversation where it's the 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 agreement is your first year of follow up service is basically warranted, quote unquote. You know, it's like it's free. And after that, the, then you look at continuing service agreements where you show this is what we've done to maintain your system this past year. So you know what you're going to be paying for. Um, do you have a system for that yet? Um, in terms of, uh, 
service agreements or after after the um, installation follow up? Yeah, we've been doing it for service. years on the on the on the commercial side. It's very easy to drop a service agreement with um, an eight to five business, if you will, or seven to five business. Yeah, pretty easy. They pick a you know, do you want twenty four hour, forty eight hour, seventy hour, seventy two hour response? You're going to pay X amount of money, travel, et cetera, et cetera. So that's easy. Um, the residential world is a little more difficult. Um, we as a company have recently um, gone from a one-year to a six-month warranty um, hmm. after the sale of anything we've provided and or installed. If it's owned or furnished, obviously, it's not, it's not covered. Um, mm-hmm. And then we are in the process of launching a what we're calling a client care membership. So they are allowed to choose between, I think, three or four plans to, quote unquote, monitor the system, do remote reboots, work with you remotely, 24-7 response on the phone. And if you're in the upper tier, you basically bump to the top. If there's a service call, we got to roll a truck. You're first in line. Mm -hmm. So I know that's high level, but that's kind of the general sense of it is a... No, no, that gives me a good idea. It's a line versus a... All, all holds, you know, bar, right? You're going to roll a truck no matter what. I'm paying you X yeah. amount, a lot of money per month. If I need problems, you're, you're rolling. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's everything in between. Um, typically, most clients are pretty comfortable with a, an initial six-month um, response. And because we're very responsive in our service side, and the guys that installed it are also our servicers, they've already mm-hmm. got to know our team. They're already comfortable with them. So um, right. I think the response alone kind of sets their mind aside and, and, and eases their concerns, if you will, if we're, if we're done with the job. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, it's kind of the same way if you ever have a remodel done in your home. You're like, okay, yeah, you're gone. Your work's done. Now what if I need service? What happens? Mm-hmm. Well, we're, the, we're no different boat than they are when, you know, they sign up with us. So um, yeah. we're, we're in the pro- process of launching that campaign right now. Ron's had that in place for quite a few years in some fashion, but we're revising that right now to make sense company-wide. And uh, it's something we're going to see hopefully a lot of recurring revenue on. Oh, great. That's the key, isn't it? To create the value in the company for, for the down the road right. part of it. And so um, to wrap up, I, I really want to touch on some product and tech trends and see where you're at as far as those go, because sometimes I talk to a company and they're right on top of, the things we talk about in magazines, which is always the new shiny thing, you know, what's the next trend. And that can lately run the gamut from just installing lighting fixtures to really trying to figure out what this health and wellness category kind of is. And they tie together a little bit at times, but uh, what would you say some of the either product trends or tech trends are that you are sort of embracing that may be newer than your traditional home entertainment technologies that we've been doing for years? So we started um, entertaining and diving into voice a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. right at the end of 2020, We, when Josh AI had done their big announcement and that stuff. So we um, we dove into that pretty heavy, have a couple guys that have been in their homes. We have one in our conference room. You know, we were worried during COVID about touchless conference rooms. We we're talking about how we're going to do that. Um, sure. So voice has become pretty big. We're not deploying it a lot yet. Um, it's still kind of in, in its infancy for us, and it's it's not it's not an, it's not an inexpensive solution for a customer. Sure. 
So that's a, t- a give and take. Um, we are looking at um, getting into the fixture business, though. Uh, I think okay. Some of our projects, actually, we've already sold some some fixtures, but that's something we're entertaining for another revenue stream. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're all over the lighting and shading that every part of that is a huge part of our business right now. And that's very profitable, um, you know, uh, discipline. So I would say the only other one, um, the health and wellness is tough. I agree with you. It's just, I don't know how many years I've been talking about it. And it's just, it's hard to kind of get your head wrapped around it and figure out a way that's going to work within your realm of what you already do and what you can offer. So I'm very interested in it. And I have a few friends that are pursuing it pretty heavily. And so I'm kind of following them closely on it, but it's nothing we've dove into um, significantly. Right. Right. Well, and, and uh, as you said, where you're located and um, in a climate where I'm in houses, you probably have a lot of big windows and sort of that sort of thing with the shades. That's got to be a huge business opportunity for you alone, let alone the lighting and the lighting control. So um, just being able to, to be the shading integration provider alone is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, the networking um, and the remote servicing of networks is, is always going to be huge. I think it's just going to explode even more. Um, you know, yeah. that, that, that is never going to slow down. And we, we dove into that pretty heavy, um, a couple of years before COVID and it's just, it, we, we literally don't have any new client that doesn't that that is not on the system. So we have eyes on it. We can reboot things and be proactive instead of reactive. Right. And how, how have the entertainment technologies portion of your projects evolved? Have you seen more dedicated theaters come back into style as especially COVID hit and people were spending more time at home? I've heard a little bit more of those dedicated spaces coming back in, not like huge numbers, but it wasn't, really happening much at all for a while. It was mostly just multi-purpose um, spaces for TVs and even projectors. So what do you see in there in your area? In our area, we don't see a lot of dedicated theaters. Um, it's usually a you know multi-purpose, great room, family room, you know, bonus room, whatever you want to call it, where obviously a lot more of the family staying at the house uh, together and spending more time together. So they're wanting it to be more family time. Dedicated mm-hmm. dedicated rooms have we just haven't done a lot. Uh, I haven't. I can't okay. tell you that it's probably been seven or eight years since we've done anything of any significant value. We actually did. Actually, I take that back. We did one or two in the last couple of years that were pretty significant, but it was pretty rare. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, it's the integrated, you know, um, LCR sound bars or some fashion, you know, custom designed speakers for an environment that that has to be aesthetically pleasing, right? It's not a dedicated theater yeah. room. Um, that's becoming sure. more, more of a, the norm than anything. And, and in an area with the climate that you have, are you, is, is outdoor a really big category Absolutely. for you? Outdoor, yeah, outdoor we do a lot stuff. outdoor, a lot, a lot of outdoor audio. We've done, I don't know, half a dozen in the last year or so that were a pretty significant size. A lot of people are moving their out indoors, outdoors. So we're doing a lot of outdoor, outdoor TVs and, um, and, and music specifically. Um, but even more than that, you got to extend the Wi-Fi too. Right. So, Oh yeah. So that, that becomes big on a, on a bigger lot. Um, so it's becoming pretty popular. 
And uh, and what about security? Uh, it seems like with the high net worth folks that they're probably wanting that. Are you? Do you do most of the security stuff, or do you outsource that to uh, specific? So surveillance, and- we do a hundred percent. Anytime surveillance is needed, we absolutely are. We're all over that, um, both commercially and residentially. Um, on the intrusion and fire alarm security, we subcontract all of that work. We don't mm-hmm. pretend to know what we're doing with that, but we also integrate with their product. So with control four as an example, we'll tell them to use a specific keypad so that their interface operates with it. Um, and then on a case by case basis, we deal with access control. So we do access control on a very slim basis. If it's a guaranteed client and a guaranteed property, and we have a one big large client, we're doing a lot of their out, outlying properties. We're doing a fair amount for them. And, and there's some new integration and new technology built into that. It's not our bread and butter. Um, but for the right client, we definitely do it. Well, uh, that gives me a really good sense of what you guys are up to. And I, I know that, uh, ha- having talked to Ron, um, he has big, big ideas for the future for the, the overall company and all the branches. So, um, I, I envy your location, your opportunity to be, uh, independent, but still have like, a. uh, kind of combined effort there with the way it's all set up. It seems like a good set up, good situation for you. And I, I hope you get to enjoy some summertime there in that beautiful area. Um, thanks so much, Patrick, for taking the time out to chat. Yeah, today. you bet. It's a little hot here right now and I'll find a Midwest uh, track for you. I'll come, I'll come visit you. They give me a reason to get out of the mountains. There we go. Let's do it. I want to, I want to get committed to that. <laughs> I, I, you got to hold my feet to it. So I don't, we're not getting younger, bro. We got to get, we got to get out there. I know I'm feeling good right now. I was, I was a little bit dinged up there for a while. I was kind of hesitant. The joint uh, pain starts hitting your elbows and stuff. And I had to pull away from some of the weights. And yep. Now I'm starting to actually finally recover. So I'm ready to ready for a new challenge. That's awesome. So uh, let's do it. Great talking <laughs> to you, Jeremy. Great talking to you, Patrick. Patrick Hartman is general manager uh, for technology design associates, TDA in Reno, Nevada. You can learn more about his company at tdareno.com. That wraps up today's show. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the weekly podcast on your preferred platform and consider rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.